Welcome to the latest edition here that podcast. Growlin, Polydor Jr., Jay Morrison of The Athletic. Excited to be with you here. We're on a Tuesday afternoon. Good to have y'all watching, listening, everybody here on YouTube. We're, we're in the lunch hour today, Jay. We're taking advantage of the people that uh, they're really looking to not get anything done the rest of the day. So if you're joining in the YouTube channel, good to have you. I, on the other hand, have plenty to get done the rest of the day because I'm still trying to finish my taxes on deadline Whoa. day. So actually more, I, I finished mine, but I'm doing my daughter's and she moved. And so the the city taxes and the prorating and it's just, it's a hassle. And I think I'm going to have to go to the Fairfield Municipal Building and uh, talk to them in person. And every time I drive by there, there's this long line of people waiting to get in. So I'm going to take my bag chair. And my laptop, it's going to wow. be like I'm sleeping out for concert tickets without the anticipation. <laughs> well, you're comfortable <laughs> with that. Uh, that's that's fantastic. Um, all right. I, I'm, I'm not I'm sure there's spreadsheets involved and I, and I look forward to, to hearing more about how that plays out. We've got a lot to get to. Most notably, um, Dane Brugler is going to join us, the uh, author of The Beast, uh, coming in to talk all things Bengals draft, dynamics of this draft, the depth. We always love to talk mm. about depth uh, with Dane here because no one goes deeper than he does or did. I hope you've downloaded the beast, subscribed for the beast, got that. Also, his 32-team, 259-pick mock draft is up. Um, we're, Jay and I have a tandem mock draft that we're doing off of that. We'll talk a little bit about some of the dynamics of that with Dane. Looking forward to having him on. Running backs and receivers today jay we're yes. we we forget the all that trench stuff let's get to the glamour positions Sexy. okay touchdowns baby let's go we're, <laughs> we're going receivers and running backs today um i've got a couple of stories up on that um on sort of the the really interesting both really interesting positions for the Bengals in that they have need but it's really weirdly constructed the way the draft has fallen. So we're going to get into that. A bunch of other news to get to. Let's start here um, with this, Jay. Players are back. Yeah. Uh, we're back in the building uh, Monday. First open locker room, Zach Taylor press conference. Um, not a ton of news necessarily, uh, but the the not spotted. Uh, so we, we were only there for a small period of time. There was a small meeting, but players can come later, get a lift in, whatever. So we don't know how many maybe came later when we weren't around or we saw or didn't see. So I hate to really go too deep into the making a big deal out of it, but not spotted. Um, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, none of the big three receivers, Jonah Williams. I think all those, certainly Higgins, Jonah, pretty expected. Uh, Sam Hubbard, not there. I mean, he's been working out, uh, I believe, in Arizona. Um, Logan Wilson, what we didn't see him yesterday, but he did show up today. Uh, I was down there at the building for the local workout day. So, uh, n no big deal there. The, I think the, the big deal was someone who was there and we thought mm -hmm. maybe might've been on that missing list. And that was Joe Mixon. Um, seemed like a little bit of a message was being sent there that, uh, I don't know for sure if, if the, the idea of a pay cut has been presented to him yet. Um, but but if it has, I mean it, it it he it basically he's there and he's got a court date tomorrow. Um, I, I do think that there was a message that that he is he is on board and he wants to be a part of this team this year. And 
Yeah, I I did not expect to see twenty eight. Um, nope. And when you consider everything that's been happening off the field, and you consider his lack of a desire to talk to us, um, whatever has been going on with conversations about his contract, dra- I mean, it's just. But hey, he's saying let's get it year seven blessed. I believe was what he yelled out, right? Yes. And then walked in. Not I don't anticipate him talking to us much of the off season, but. Yeah, his presence does say something that he's he's on board. He's ready to be a part of this team and and be a Bengal. We'll we'll see how that continues going forward. And and uh, but yeah, Joe Mixon in the house. Um, surprise, bit of a surprise there. Mm-hmm. Um, Jay, you have a story up with kind of an update with Chidibe Wuzier, who uh, was there in the locker room and had a lot of positive things to say about where his rehab is at right now. Yeah, he he said uh, no, not only no setbacks, no plateaus. That it has been, it's been everything that they have laid out for him. He's he's hit every mark along the way. Uh, the toughest part is what a lot of guys talk about um, is that that idea of patience, where you're it's going so well and you're feeling so good and you want to push it uh, and you have to you have to listen to the doctors and the therapist and the physical therapist and, and stick to the plan. And he said, that's really hard for him because he loves playing basketball this time of year. He's a very active guy. Um, but he was, he was, it, it was interesting because when we first got in there, he was over watching a ping pong match. And it's like, I, you definitely don't want to go try to ask a guy for an interview. Where he's playing ping pong, but even when they're over there watching, it just feels like, you know, you don't approach him, but he left, he went, he sat at his locker and uh, Dan Horton, I walked over and he said, yeah, he would talk. And then the, the, everybody else kind of surrounded and, and he went on for about 10 or 11 minutes and just completely positive and encouraged and, um, no, not at all interested in the first day of camp. I know a lot of guys coming off ACL injuries or they kind of circle that date is I want to be back on the field practice. He's he doesn't care about that. It's all about the start of the season. And, and he feels really confident that he's going to be ready for week one. Yeah. And that's great to hear. You know, I mean, it's a good time frame for him on a, on a, a traditional recovery now from these ACLs. What he has, I mean, you, you, that certainly feels realistic uh, that that you could have him back, but back at full speed. I think that's just it. Is is week one of this season back at full speed and feeling like himself, and they'll have plenty of time to judge that as we go through camp. But great to hear that that's where uh, Chidibe is at both physically and sort of mentally and dealing mm-hmm. with it through a lot of the tough hurdles. So make sure you want more information on that. Make sure you go check out Jay's story, which is up now. Let's talk tight ends. Um, look, you've got, um, one interesting thing said by Zach Taylor. I thought yesterday was when asked about Irv Smith, um, sort of said that they do envision him as a starter in the Hayden Hurst role. Um, since we last talked, Drew Sample re-signed, uh, so that room filling out a little bit. Um, I had one thought on that. I'm not saying that Irv Smith is not necessarily going to be in the Hayden Hurst role or a number one tight end. I think that's something you could project for him and and plausible. He's also a guy they're not paying very much who has a injury history. Um, and and I don't know that that's necessarily a projection you would immediately make for him. Um, not that he can't do it. I, I don't think that that's out of the question at all. There's just there's question marks around that about the viability of a full season from him. It sure felt a little bit more like me, like, hey, other 31 teams, 
we <laughs> think Irv Smith is our guy. You back off those tight ends in the second round or whatever. We, we, don't worry about us. Don't don't you worry about us. You trade ahead. Don't think about trading ahead of us. We don't need one of them. That I'm saying it felt a little bit um maybe like a hey. And and nothing and something that you'd want to say to Irv Smith anyway, because it was immediately followed. Look, there's always competition. Mm. I mean, if a guy comes in. Is great competition, you know, maybe a first round pick in the draft. Uh, I mean, they're, they're just gonna have to compete, right? So I, I'm just saying, I, I wouldn't take that as far as maybe some would want to. No, if, if Irv had been sitting in that press conference when Zach was saying that, he probably would have said, Well, that's not what you guys said when we were negotiating the contract because he's yeah. certainly not getting paid <laughs> like he's. And then the, the other thing is that if I remember right, the question was phrased as, Is is he your opening or is he your week one starter? And, and and you almost have to say yes to that. You can't say, well, to be announced rookie is more likely going to be our starter. But then <laughs> but that, Zach did go beyond that and was really speaking glowingly of of Irv. And I, I'm sure they have high hopes for him stepping into that role. And and but it, it a lot of it's going to come down to whether he can stay healthy. Yeah. And if it's a rookie that he's competing with, yeah, Irv probably is the day one starter. Yeah. I don't know if he's the week four starter. <laughs> right. But he's he's the week one starter probably when you get unless you're talking about total first round pick who comes in and kills it in camp and and that's another thing we'll get into tight ends um, obviously a very interesting position um, uh, later this week um, before so that's that's kind of that I, the point being I think is changes nothing signing of Drew Sample mm. declaration of Irv Smith as vision for we I I don't think it changes anything about their approach I think. It's still a possibility they could take a tight end at any level of this draft. There is no round that I would be surprised if a tight end ended up in their lap in, as the pick. No round. I mean, really. Maybe maybe seventh. <laughs> like, but I think one, two, well, three, four, five. Like they, oh, there's, there's guys there at every level. And, and I think you could make a very good argument at any level for why they would make that pick, even in round one. Obviously, I think depending on whether you have one of those top two, Kincaid and Michael Mayer, uh, available to you. Yeah, and I, I think seventh is absolutely on the table, just not the first tight end. But that we could see the classic yeah. double up where it's a, a sure. fifth and a seventh, a two, two and a, se- a second and a seventh. I, any combination, um, I could see them using that final pick on, let's let's throw another dart at it. Yeah. Um Real quick, before Dane comes in and we go full into draft, I do want to talk about the Jalen Hurts deal. Um, mm-hmm. So we have the Jalen Hurts contract. Um, big, big money. You've got $180 million essentially in guarantees. That's a large number. You have the $51 million per year. Um, if you've seen the the cap hits on those next four years, they're very easy on the Eagles to continue to build around him. The money catches up a little later. Um, and so the structure of that's interesting. He becomes the highest paid player in the league. And right now, um, I think it's, okay, first in the pool, Jalen Hurts, congratulations. Um, I, I think there's a discount in that. That, to me, makes this the floor for Burrow. I mean, and and, and and I think a structure that would make sense. I think if the Bengals looked at something and it looked like that plus three to five percent, uh, maybe more, because uh, you similar got right. Hertz has taken his team to the Super Bowl yeah, and, and become a face of the franchise. Burrow done the same. 
And now Hertz being a second round pick and, and Burrow being number one overall makes a little bit more difference. Him having the fifth year option still there as part of kind of where the negotiation lives makes a difference. Um, but I, I think you could see something like that absolutely be the way that this plays out and sort of the structure of something that it that it kind of looks like. Yeah, it always felt like it was going to come in around 50 per year, 50 million oh, yeah. per year. And now it's, you know, probably going to be a tick. It's going to, it's going to top the 51 that, that hurts got. There's no doubt about that. I think the, the, the thing that really stuck, stuck out to me is, you know, last year we were wondering and we asked Katie about it is the Deshaun Watson, the fully guaranteed 230. Is that going to be a template? And, and teams are backing off of that. And, you know, Kyler Murray got less than that. And then, and then, Jalen Hurts gets even ten million less guaranteed than what what Kyler got, so I, I don't think that we're we're gonna see that be a thing. Where and I mean Lamar Jackson is is trying to make that a thing and and make his fully guaranteed, and, and but I, I don't think you're gonna see that from Joe. And I, I I do I think it's gonna look very very similar. And I don't know what the Eagles' history is, but you it, the cap hits as you said they climb, they get harder toward the end, and then that's when you start looking at you know maybe a quarterback willing to renegotiate and spread it out a little and push a little bit more down the line and and kind of keep the the roster strong. Um, so it, it does. It seems that that ten year thing that Patrick Mahomes signed seems like an outlier. It, it it feels like the Burrow would probably come in in that four or five year range. And have a shot to to get another big one before or right after he's thirty. Yeah, I was having an interesting discussion today uh, down at the stadium. Most interesting number in the Jalen Hurts deal. We could run past or boot it. Most interesting hmm. number in the Jalen Hurts deal: years, guarantee, or average per. And through a Burrow lens, what, what you know, I I would run with the guarantee. Yeah, for um, sure. Now you've got the 110 million guaranteed at signing, and with the rest coming in later, I just think the fact that you know you're not up over 200 in guarantee yet. There, there's 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 wiggle room in there with the guarantee money makes it the most interesting. The years being second, a close second. You know, the, the Bengals would love the years, right? They want the mm -hmm. years. They want to spread it out. They want to have as long as he's willing to go. So you've got Hertz through 2028. Um, that. You know, I'm I'm curious to see where the Burrow years come in. We we don't know really where where they're yeah. at with that. Um, but you know, the if they can get to 2028 as well, that that feels like that feels like a a, a nice spot. Yeah, because you're you're protecting yourself with if if there is an injury, worst case scenario, and you and you've got all this guaranteed money locked up. That way, if you've got a shorter time for them to, to get through the games. And again, you can, you can renegotiate this before it comes up or you just reevaluate where you are. I mean, everybody thinks he's going to be the quarterback for the next 10 years, but nobody really knows. And it, it's, it's good to, you know, every four or five years kind of reassess and see, do, do you want to keep going down that path? Not being stuck to having to do it. Yeah. You know, I just think the longer the years, the better for the Bengals for the Bengals and what they would want. You know, you don't want Burrow going back in for another bite at the apple here in a few years. And when the numbers are going to go so far up, there's just going to be more hopping on top mm -hmm. of a hopping on top. That said, I mean, you're you're right. I mean, there's an inherent risk in that, you know, when Carson Palmer hurts his elbow and, yeah. and you're like, what is this going to do to there's 
With today's science, man, though, it's hard to find an injury where you're like, I'm still not buying Joe Burrow's future. Like, it's just really, really hard to see that outside of something truly catastrophic. Um, to, I, I, to me, you know, I think if, if, if they ended up in years and they were beyond 2028, the Bengals would be beyond happy. Uh, I, I, I certainly would think. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Let's uh, let's let's bring in the man of the hour, our good friend Dane Brugler. Great to have you here, Dane. How's it going? It's going well. How are you guys? Uh, doing Great. good. Doing good. First of all, let's start off with congratulations. The beast is yeah. incredible yet again. Uh, insane effort. Thank you for uh, uh, ruining days and days of my life as I continue <laughs> to dive through your work. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. I mean, that, that's a compliment for me. Um, you know, hopefully people are enjoying it. It's uh, it, it's it's a weird feeling to work on something for a year and then finally be able to share it with the world. Um, but you know, I, the feedback has been awesome. Um, not many places you're going to get, you know, all the, the NFL verified testing data for almost 1900 players, 400 reports, all that stuff. So, um, you know, whether or not people agree with my rankings or not, hopefully they just look at it as a resource guide, you know, a lot of information in there. Um, I, I think it'll be a resource for people now. And then especially on draft night. And this might be a little bit of inside baseball, but for people watching that don't know, we we measure stories on on subscriptions, and it's a big deal is made when it, when a story garners a hundred subscriptions. And I just wanted to to say congratulations. They just announced that the beast went over two thousand, and it's only been out <laughs> not that long. It's just an incredible incredible achievement. And the thing is, wherever you go in this media landscape, it, it, there's there's People have their favorite analyst and, and all that, but there's there's always someone, there's always the yeah, but, and there's always criticism. I've never heard anybody say anything but glowing terms about the beast. No, oh, I appreciate that. I mean, that's uh, awesome and humbling to hear. Um, yeah. it, 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 I put a lot of work into it, and so I think that yeah. that, that shines through. Um, and, and like I said, even if people don't, because I'm not going to get all these guys right, obviously, you know, but I feel good about my batting average, and I think people know that, uh, aside from just my opinion on players, there's a lot of factual information that maybe you're not getting in other places where, you know, I'm getting it straight from a scout or, uh, you know, how teams feel about uh, a certain player or maybe his background, things like that, that uh, little little nuggets that are sprinkled throughout the guide that mm -hmm. I think are really unique. That's why I have particularly loved it from a Bengals perspective, because they have not hidden how much they lean into the character, into yeah. the team guy stuff, more so than most, and certainly more so than the previous regime did here. It's a heavy emphasis for them. So when you find, I always feel like I can find the Bengals picks when I go through, when you find the the team guy, the work ethic, mm -hmm. the captain stuff, because they've so consistently picked from those guys that have been maybe around earlier than the traits would suggest. Um, I, I want to start, though, with, you know, you have a mock draft up of, Again, going all in and, and every pick for every team. And I thought it was interesting, the Bengals pick that you had at 28, having at a Tamiwa, at a Barre, at a Northwestern, who on the beast is the seventh defensive tackle. But in here, you have him up at 28. Like you, you wrote in there, there's a lot that's insight on the way the league feels about players, the way you think they might go. Is there something about uh, at a bar that you've heard or felt that had you up above where you even had him graded out. Yeah, for me personally, I, I, I had him as my number 68 overall player, um, late to early thir third round grade. That was the highest I could go. 
But there are definitely teams that are willing to go higher and maybe even in that first round. Uh, and, and he just checks a lot of boxes when you look at uh, off the field character stuff that, you know, we were just talking about. I think he fits those um, what teams are looking for. And then, you know, what do you do with a player that had on tape fourth round tape? But the testing was top five overall testing. You know, where where, where do you feel comfortable, you know, merging the two and, and feeling good about it? I think, you know, he played a lot of uh, on the edge in college where in, uh, in, in the NFL he's going to be more of a three technique. Uh, played really well at the Senior Bowl. I think that's where it really start, the ascent started was the Senior Bowl, seeing him in one of those one-on-one opportunities. Because uh, he's not he, – he's smaller for a defensive tackle, six one and a half, about 282, 283 pounds – but he's really long on 34 inch arms, uh, which is uh, disproportionately long for a player that size. So he's able to use that length, that quickness, um, that athleticism, the movement skills to be disruptive. And ultimately that's what you want. It's not about what you've done in college. It's about what your traits are and what we think you can do in the NFL. And teams are going to be willing to bet on those traits, bet on the character, bet on, on the person uh, just turned 22 years old, still a young player, still uh, the arrows pointing up for uh, Adebawari. I mean, you go so deep on all these these prospects. I, I can't imagine that you you also look at historical trends for individual teams. Are you aware of the last time the Bengals took a, a defensive lineman in the first round? Uh, I, it's it's kind of been a while, right? Uh, yeah. Maybe what, what was Pollock? Does he count? No, he was. Uh, he, no, counted, he was, he was more. He was. Okay. They were counting more of as a linebacker. It was actually Justin Smith in two thousand. Okay, believe it or there not. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So it's been a while. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, they they've done a nice job. You think back to Geno Atkins in the fourth, mm-hmm. or Sam Hubbard uh, in the third. I mean, they they've done a nice job uh, filling out the defensive line without using those premium picks. Uh, but I, I, I really think they want that interior disruption. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you look at who could be a potentially available, uh, in that late first round, there are a couple names out there that could, could make sense. Um, you know, I think you look at, uh, other positions, tight end, you look at offensive line, you look at corner, uh, the Bengals are in a position where I, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, there, there are legitimately three or four positions they could go in that first round, depending on how the board falls to them. And I wouldn't be surprised at all. Yes, I was going to ask. What I don't know how how you rank it or or look at it. Did, was were you deciding between him and another player? Did did you feel like one of those tackles would Harrison or Dewan Jones would be too big of a reach at that spot? I thought so. Now, hey, mm-hmm. maybe the Bengals feel differently. Maybe they yeah. feel comfortable taking a Dewan Jones there in the late first round. I, the feedback I get on Dewan Jones is he's squarely in the second round. But mm-hmm. I don't talk to thir- all thirty-two teams. You know, they, all it takes is one team to see it a little bit differently. Uh, and you know, if if you don't feel comfortable with the right tackles that are going to be available for you in the late second then maybe you have to take him a little bit earlier than you want in that late first. So that's certainly possible. Um, Anton Harrison uh, at Oklahoma has left tackle, right tackle experience. Uh, you know, there's a little bit of a learning curve waiting for him in the NFL coming from that Oklahoma offense uh, to the pros, but he's a young player who's just figuring out how good he can be. So I, I would understand if Anton Harrison went ended up going in the first round as well, but it, it I'm interested to see, you know, do those tight ends make it uh, to uh, you know, pick 28? Uh, you know, the Cowboys picking two spots ahead of uh, the Bengals. That's uh, the, the Cowboys are doing a lot of work. I know they like Dalton Kincaid quite a bit. I know they like Michael Mayer quite a bit. I'd be surprised if uh, both those guys or one of those guys made it past the Cowboys. 
you know, would the Bengals be comfortable drafting one of those tight ends at that point? Um, you know, corners, obviously one of those positions you could draft almost every year. Uh, you know, you always need more corner help. So, you know, when I came down to it, uh, deciding between, you know, the, both of those tight ends, Kincaid and Mayer were off the board in this scenario. Um, I didn't feel great about uh, going with a corner at that spot. You know, maybe you could go Emmanuel Forbes. Uh, maybe you could go Akili Ringo. Didn't feel great about that there. Uh, and Adam Bawari, he's the one that stood out as, you know what, he gives you that interior disruption, checks a lot of boxes in terms of what they want character-wise, what he, how he would fit on that defensive line. So that's the direction I went. But, you know, certainly understand if they went a different direction. You know, to finish off the first round conversation, does the back of the first round feel particularly unpredictable this year? You know, with just not a ton of first round grades out there, uh, you know, how much difference is there between 22 and 42 or 52 <laughs> that does that make you expect a lot of surprise picks more trades what what is what does that say to you if it is more unpredictable about how the back end of this first and into the second could go i wouldn't say more but similar i mean you think about last year you know we had a lot of you know a lot of trades in that back half of the first round uh you know the, we had the patriots taking cole strange mm-hmm. um you know I, where, where would tyler linderbaum fall um you know i could dax hill really fall to the Bengals? You know, it, it, there was a lot of question marks uh, with, with the the back end of uh, last year's first round, too. And I think this year following up the same way. And it'll be really interesting with how do the first 20 picks go? And then where do we see movement? You know, how do the quarterbacks factor? And that's something we didn't really have to worry about last year was the quarterbacks. Uh, where we, we thought maybe, you know, maybe Malik Willis could fit into that, you know, late first round. But uh, it turns out that's not what happened. This year, how many quarterbacks go in the first 20? Uh, you know, where's Hendon Hooker figure in all this uh, in terms of trade opportunities and things like that. Uh, and then, you know, we've got, are we going to see a run on a certain position? Could we see a run on tight ends? So could we see a run on corners, wide receivers? Uh, and I, I, you know, this is a good chance to remind people that a lot of teams, you know, their, their draft boards, you know, I, I evaluate everyone in the draft. So even if I don't really love a player, I'm still going to put a grade on him and still, you know, speaking with general terms, if a, if a team doesn't like a player, he's not on the board. And, you know, most teams have boards that are, what, 150 names, 175 names, uh, some much fewer than that. So, you know, it's uh, it, it, you're kind of limited with the options there in the late first, depending on how the first 25 picks come off the board. You know, looking at it from a, a broader perspective and I, I know you just finished the beast in the draft and and I, I, you're ch- catching your breath I'm not going to ask you about the 2024 draft class but <laughs> this this is a this is a, a down class for wide receivers in yeah. general when you have those positions those, those skill positions and it's a bad year can you can you almost automatically count on the next year being strong is, or or are there are there longer dips for historically where sometimes it's just a bad run of a couple of years? Uh, I, I ask because I, you know, I, I, and Paul wrote this piece today, you know, where do the Bengals or if they do uh, look for a slot receiver to, to replace Tyler Boyd? And it, it's hard because it's not a great draft class. Uh, can you feel comfortable saying we'll hold on one more year to, to really uh, tackle that? 
Well, you know, teams, they forward scout, you know, they, they always look for towards next year, especially when it comes to quarterbacks. And it will be really interesting to see how next year's quarterback class factors into this year. I think you have several teams, the Texans at two, the Raiders at seven, a couple other teams that are looking towards next year and saying, yeah, we, we'll be patient. We'll, we feel, we feel good about mm-hmm. that. Um, you know, other positions are a little tougher, uh, especially wide receiver where there is some volatility there. Um, although I, 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 I tweeted it back in September, and it, I st- it still holds true that if Marvin Harrison were in this draft, he'd be the easy wide receiver one, um, and you know a guy that, and he might be the first non-quarterback drafted this year if he were eligible. He's that good of a player. Um, now, wide receiver, we've been spoiled the last two years, I think, uh, it, it, with the with the receiver position, yeah. and especially at the top. Two years ago with Jamar Chase and and Waddle and uh, Devontae Smith. Last year we had six in the top twenty-five. This year a little bit of a I, I would say it's a an average wide receiver class. It's just it's not very top heavy. You know it, we might not see a receiver in the first 15, 20 picks, uh, but there's still some really quality options round two, round three. Um, if a team wants to find a slot receiver in round two. You know, Josh Downs from North Carolina is a really nice player. Uh, you want to find a deep threat in round three, Marvin Mims from Oklahoma would make sense. So this draft has some wide receivers. It's just definitely not one of the strengths of this draft like we saw last year. So, you know, looking towards next year, you know, there, there are definitely some names that are high on the radar, but, you know, hard to say with much conviction that it's going to be clearly a, a better draft or worse draft at, at the receiver position. The way that position has shifted in size, and particularly we see mm-hmm. it here more so than any draft I can remember, all these little guys, yep. um, who has the best chance to, to where his size won't matter, that, that it will translate, particularly when we talk through the lens of a slot uh, of the future potentially for the Bengals. I mean, is is it even the smallest of all of them in Nathaniel Dell? I mean, just because he's so freaky and everything else, who who has the best chance of those little guys? Do you think to to where that doesn't matter as much for them? You know, watching Jordan Addison, and he's my number two receiver. Could have very well ended up as my number one receiver. I I don't think I I didn't come away from his tape saying, man, I'm I'm really worried about his size. Now, when he came in at the combine, it was one seventy three. That that's a little bit of a red flag, you know, and then his pro day is actually 170. So three pounds less. Um, but when you watch him on tape, I don't think you come away saying, Oh gosh, this guy is tiny. Uh, look at him getting beat up out there. Uh, you know, like he's, he, he plays a little bit bigger than he, than he measured in my opinion. So with Jordan Addison inside, outside versatility, I do think he can play on the outside. Um, you know, he can elude press. He's not going to fight through the press. He's not super physical, but he can get around the press. Uh, very good route runner, uh, can work all three levels of the field. So, you know, if I had to bet on one of these guys, and I mean, your point is, is, is spot on did the, my top seven receivers this year, four of them are below 180 pounds. <laughs> I mean, that's just, I think we're the NFL has become much more open-minded to different types and shapes and sizes because they have to, uh, the college game gives the NFL, this is what they're giving us, you know? And so you can't create a, a, a prototypical X receiver that you're going to draft in the first round. If there isn't one, you just can't create it. So this is what the college game is giving us. The NFL is going to make do with it. And we'll see how the, the position continues to evolve. A guy like Jalen Hyatt, who is over six foot, only 176 pounds. 
not a well-rounded receiver at all, but he does two things really well. He can get vertical with that speed and he tracks the ball really well and has very good ball skills. So when you, you know, it, not a complete receiver, but if you can do two really important things at a high level, what does that mean? It'll, it'll mean different things for different offenses and how they're going to use you. So this receiver class is really interesting in that respect where one team's going to look at a receiver and say, oh, this is a dynamic talent. We consider him in the first round. Another team looks at him and say, eh, third rounder. You know, and so a lot of differing opinions from Quentin Johnston to uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Zay Flowers, a lot of differing opinions on these guys. I wanted to get to some numbers and kind of brag on on Dane's track record, but I didn't know, Paul, do you, do you before we do that did, and let Dane go, did, did you have anything running back wise that you wanted to hit on or? Uh, you, I don't know if you realize this, you have more running backs with a fourth or fifth round grade this year, almost double than you have had in recent years. Is it, is that just the way you were every guy you looked at? You're like, uh, running back with some flaws, but some talent fourth, fourth, (laughs) because it feels like there's so many of those, or is that just kind of what this class is and how it's constituted? Because, you know, the Bengals are in that business. How many teams are in the running back business is probably a question right now in terms of how many were how is that one of the more fascinating groups because it's kind of constituted in a very weird way this year it seems. Yeah, no doubt. That third round and fifth round between in that span we're going to see plenty of running backs off the board cuz so a lot of these guys you look at it it's like eh second round maybe just a little too early for these guys and then it's like okay well if I wait to the fourth or fifth I'm not going to get them and so third round especially we're I think we're going to see a run on these running backs um, and guys that are just useful players. They you feel like, okay, we can add them to the rotation. This is what they do really well. Let's add them to the mix. And, you know, they're going to help us, uh, it, you know, move the offense. And so whether it's a Rashawn Johnson from Texas or a Kendra Miller from TCU, uh, Izzy Abaconda from Pitt, they all offer something a little bit differently. Uh, maybe there's something about their skill set that doesn't uh, you know, fit a, a feature back and all around back. But if you tap into their strengths, you could have a really productive uh, part of a of a running back room. So, yeah, this is a it's a loaded running back class uh, in respect to those. We may only have one first round running back, but it's still a loaded class of running backs, especially once you get to that third, fourth, fifth round. I, I assume that the, that anticipated run in the third round is kind of what led you to go with Charbonnet for the Bengals in the second round to get it, get it while you can. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Because if you want a true, uh, you know, we can trust them on any down, um, can be a featured runner if we, we, we want them to be a featured runner, um, more than just a complimentary back. Uh, Charbonnet is one of the few in this draft that you can point to and say, yeah, he, he can do that. Uh, not not an elite athlete, but a good enough athlete. And he does all the running back specific things at a high level. Patience, tempo, vision, uh, his ability. We talk about decision making for quarterbacks and how important that is. Decision making for running backs is uh, extremely important. The ability to to read the line, understand where the holes are developing, make those split second decisions so you're hitting the hole at the right time. Uh, and then he's outstanding uh, with, with, as a receiver, as a pass catcher. So his balance off the charts. Uh, Charbonnet, if you can get him in a late second, I, I love that fit for the Bengals. Mm. You mentioned when we first started your batting average and how you're proud of it. Do you actually go back and look at old beast and see kind of compare it to your grade and where the guy was drafted? No, the most important thing that I do is be a self-evaluator. 
because that's yeah. that's that's how I learn. You know, it, why? Okay, why did I miss on this player? Um, it's not just about you know being mad I missed on a player. It's okay, why? What 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 about his evaluation? And honestly, sometimes I missed on a player, and it's like I read his report. And I'm like, well, I got his report exactly right. Maybe I just valued him wrong. You know, maybe mm-hmm. I I didn't put enough emphasis on. Oh, okay, he does this really well, and I should have graded that higher. And so it's for me, it's a constant learning exercise. Uh, you know, going back three years ago and seeing, okay, I, I had this right, this wrong, and you know, understanding and understanding why I got it right, understanding why I got it wrong. That's that definitely a big part of what I do um, to be better for the next year. And because the game's always always evolving, and so scouting is always evolving. You have to evolve with it, or you're going to be left behind. Now, I did want to point out that uh, last year I, I I didn't go look at every team because that, that would have been very time consuming. Yeah. But I looked at there was 33 draft picks in the AFC North. So I looked at all of those uh, on 27 of them. You had the round exactly right or were off by one. So 27 out of three, 82 percent. You nailed it within a round. Um uh, interesting the, the the one that you were furthest off, you had Zach Carter, the Bengals defensive tackle as a, as a six round grade. He went in the third. Um, yeah. but the, all the other ones, you were only off by two. I mean, it, yeah. it was, it was remarkable how on brand or how, how accurate your projections were. And that's, that's hard to do because like you said, teams have different needs and, and the, the grade might be what it is, but it, someone might take a reach for a guy or a guy might fall for whatever reason. Well, and you know, two years from now, I might look very wrong about that Zach Carter grade, or I might look very right, you know? And so it's, <laughs> It's a fine line because you want to be right on draft day, but yeah. I think more importantly, you want to be right three years from now where it's like, okay, it, you know, I, I really thought this guy would outplay where he was drafted and, you know, I had a high grade on him. And, you know, sometimes uh, it, it's as simple as a player maybe wasn't used correctly or, you know, you, you try not to make excuses, but maybe he went to a situation where it just, it didn't fit. And, uh, you know, that, that that's part of this too. These guys are, human beings. And it's, uh, you know, going from college ranks, to the pro ranks, it's hard to account for that. So yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely an interesting exercise when you, you try to factor everything in. And even that you're, you're bound to, to overlook a, a certain part of a certain puzzle piece that could uh, end up being the difference. Well, Dana, I appreciate you spending some time with us and uh, shedding yeah. even more light than you already have. The uh, <laughs> the beast lives on in all of our conversations, uh, as does everything that you've uh, written and done. And thanks so much uh, for for everything you've done so far and for your time with us. We appreciate it and uh, enjoy enjoy draft weekend. You're you're all that much closer to a little break. It's almost here. It's getting closer. <laughs> I, I cannot wait. As much as I love draft weekend, uh, yeah, that that following week uh, where I can take a deep breath and uh, that, I, I can't wait for that as well so yeah it'll be fun we'll be in kansas city doing a live show from there from, oh, cool. uh, from the draft so uh really looking forward to it hope everyone makes you check that up on the uh the athletic nfl football feed uh on robert may's show it's gonna yeah. be fantastic check that out dane thanks so much for your time appreciate yeah, it thank you dane anytime thanks gentlemen all right let's just take a quick break all right, great to have uh, Dane Brugler joining us here on the show. Fantastic stuff, as always. Man, if you, so if you have not uh, subscribed, again, like Jay and I do everything we can every day uh, to try to make your subscription worthwhile. We do all year long. We just we want to we want to fight for your dollars. Feel like you're getting your punch, but <laughs> you don't even need us if you just subscribe for the beast and if you like the draft even a little bit. It is beyond 
worth the price of a subscription to The Athletic. Just incredible stuff. Dane does a great job. And you could do like Mo does and print it at your work to piss <laughs> off all your coworkers and potentially get fired for abusive toner. How many pages is that? Uh, I haven't looked at the last page of the PDF, but I mean, it's got, I think it's, it's multiple hundreds. I mean, you're here. We have 308. I'd have to to go and actually, I just, yeah, I just called it up. 308. That's 308 making friends in the office, folks, making friends (laughs) in the office. Um, all right. So Dane hit on a lot of, a a lot of different areas. and, And we, we talked about running backs and wide receivers a little bit. Let's dive a little bit more into that from, a Bengals perspective though. I Jay, I think running back is it might be the, the most fascinating position for the Bengals here. Because with tight end, I feel like we we know they're taking one, right? With running back, I I think we assume that they're taking one. Um you have whatever's happening with Joe Mixon in part of this equation, the loss of Samaj P. Ryan, how much do they really believe in Travion Williams ascending? Like it's just, it could go any direction. I'm, I think that they're going to take one. I think I know when they're going to take one, but if they didn't, if we reached round six and it ended up being Kenny McIntosh as the only running back they took, I wouldn't necessarily be shocked if it ended up being Zach Charbonnet at 60 or something, mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily be shocked. I just think it's really wide open, and there's a lot of repercussions. And the point of what I wrote this weekend was that they have changed who they are, but they've never really had to address running back through that evolution. They're now this downhill running team. They're now this pass-heavy, pass-first, you better be able to catch a check down against these two deep safeties team right so i think what they need out of that position has changed but this will be the first time we really see them address that evolution what does that look like in their eyes i think we'll learn a lot by who they pick yeah and i mean i don't want to react too much to what we saw yesterday but i it made me change my thinking a little bit when when we're we've got this this dueling draft coming up later this week where i i didn't feel the urgency to, to take a running back in the second round like Dane did with Charbonnet. It wouldn't surprise me, but if if there's some sort of understanding or expectation even that, that Joe Mixon is going to be willing to accept a pay cut and, and stick around and be a part of this team, I mean, that that frees you up. You, you, you just don't feel – I mean, it's not a long-term solution, but you just don't feel the, the urgency to – to to go get one earlier in the draft and and you're right fifth sixth round would would feel way more likely um, if they knew that they were going to have Joe Mixon um, in the backfield all year. So Dane said it. The this draft is a third through fifth round <laughs> draft for running yeah. backs. Okay, all those guys and they're all flawed. And, and that's fine. Otherwise, they'd be up there with Jameer Gibbs and Bijan Robinson. And, and I want to talk about Gibbs in a minute, but I'm not going to get there just yet. In that, look, there's just so many. And I would say from a Bengals perspective, let's talk about traits that they want. 
and that they'll value and that they'll devalue. So if a reason that a guy has a is in the round in the fourth round is something major is wrong with him, if that reason is speed, I think the Bengals are on board mm-hmm. because they have shifted to a team of efficiency. Now they're not going to turn down speed. They're not going to look at 4-4 guy and say, no, can't have that. But if that's the reason he's there, I think they live okay with that if they're about efficiency. Home runs are great, okay? Like a dude that can outrun at the second level, that's fantastic. There's nothing wrong with that. They'd rather have a great 10-yard split than a 40-yard dash, and that's an important thing to, to, to way to process this. They want the guys that are going to make people miss on the second level that are going to be really elusive there, but they're they're not going to be as concerned if you're talking about warts with the guy that can run away from everybody at some point because they want to be efficient, let Burrow win for them. And that means no negative runs. They don't want guys out here trying to bounce all the time. They don't want guys out here that are, don't have the vision to get up, get downhill, gap, downhill, shotgun, run scheme. Get up there. Get an efficient run. Keep them in good down and distance. They want second and five. They want third and one, third and two. They don't want you putting them in second and 12. That's what has killed them offensively. Burrow can't, Burrow can't overcome that, but he's, he will just kill you if you live in good down and distance all day. And they realize that. It's what made their offense do so well last year and how they plan on going forward. That's an important thing to look when you start sifting through the 13 guys with these middle round grades. And efficiency is the key word. They're not just in the run game, but but on those checkdowns. You, yes. a, a four-yard checkdown, you make one guy miss, and all of a sudden it's a seven, eight-yard gain, and you're looking at second and two or, or third, whatever it is. And you wrote about it, the, the elusivity rating, yep. where that's not – that's not video game guy that's going to be jitterbugging around and making everybody miss. It's just make that first guy miss. Be able to catch the ball, make the first guy miss, and, and take your six, your eight-yard gain, and, and move on to the next play. And then the the other thing that um, it is going to play into this is pass protection. And, and the, the, the vision, uh, the understanding, and the willingness to stick your nose in there and and be able to pick up blitzers and, and protect Burrow when asked to. Yeah, it's it's one or the other. Okay, if you have great hands, then maybe you can. Okay, pass pro, you're not going to be great, but willingness. You, that's the word. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that really is the word because a lot of these guys, especially some of the guys in here in the middle, when we start talking through them, you know, you're showing up at two oh five and you're five nine. You're you're Eric Gray. You're you. Know, like you need willingness. You may not be able to always, can you find the right guy? Can you try when you need to? They're not going to ask you to do it all the time. Um, if they see guys turning it down, that's that's when the, the red line goes through them, mm-hmm. okay? Can't have you out there turning down pass protection, okay? It may not always be great, but you got to have some want to, and willingness to get in there and do it. You know, Giovanni Bernard wasn't huge, but he had willingness. He had want to. Um, and so, or, because if you have great hands, like, and you can you can have that hard one cut and make somebody miss, and now your, your, your check down percentage is, you're getting a lot more big plays out of that. It's just so more, much more dangerous. If you're gonna, teams are going to live in that too high, 
mm-hmm. and they're going to leave those checkdowns open. And Burrow's so good at getting it out there quick. I, mean, I remember Zach Taylor talking about he's never seen anybody who's so quick at processing and getting it out to the back immediately, knowing that's where the hole is. That's where the space is. And look, Joe Mixon was fine. He was okay. He was meh to uh. He was somewhere in there, <laughs> depending on the time of year on those, okay? They need and want a Camara, McCaffrey, uh, you Eckler, name it. Guys with great hands, crush in checkdowns and the underneath drop stuff, and, and can really make guys miss that way and catch a lot of balls. That's the perfect fit for them. You know, if they could trade for Austin Eckler and him not worry about wanting a contract extension, which he will, and that makes it hard to do because they're not going to do that. He makes all the sense in the world, right? If you could find some way to land Alvin Kamara, like, boy, that'd be great. Which brings me to Jameer Jameer Gibbs. Gibbs. Yep, exactly. Uh, Look, I I know no one wants (laughs) a running back early. I know it, okay? I don't know how you don't watch Jameer Gibbs and think, God damn, that'd be good with the Bengals. <laughs> he sure would fit what they want. Throwing checkdowns to Jameer Gibbs would be a weapon. Okay, it yeah. wouldn't be a concession. It would be a weapon. And if you now have a checkdown weapon against teams that are out here dropping in the too high and the receivers, it's scary as a mother. Okay, now, where can you get Jameer Gibbs? You can take him at 28. Again, though, non-premium position, deep draft. You've got guys like Eric Gray, Roshan Johnson, Izzy Abanaconda, Chase Brown. Um, There's others. I've got the whole list of them in my story if you want to go with Kendra Miller. What's the difference there where you're, you know, far giving up far less capital? You're trying to stock with premium positions at the top of this draft. This is the lowest paid position in football that isn't a specialist. Okay. You need to get that roster surplus back. So doing it is scary. Will he make it to 60? Don't see a way he makes it to 60. Nope. So you're kind of in no man's land. And I, I, look, I don't know if they can move out of 28, but if they did, if, if Hennon Hooker was the apple of Seattle or the Raiders eye, and they want to come up to the back of the first round of 28 to do it, I think the Bengals should very much consider saying, yes, we've talked about that. And then you can start having a Gibbs conversation very Mm -hmm. realistically. You can much more do that there when you're picking at 38 and then you still have 60 coming than when you're having to use a 28 on him. But I think it's a real conversation that they should have just because he turns checkdowns into a weapon, and that's scary as heck for a defense. Yeah, and in... I, going down 10 spots might be a lot, you know, 34, 35. But when we did our exercise to to redo Dane's draft on just based on what he, the first 27 he took, I mean, that's what I wanted to do. When I saw the what was available at 28, I was like, I don't feel great about any of these. And this yeah. is an ideal spot to trade back. And, you know, we 
we weren't going to do that because of the way we wanted to lay out and see how the divergent paths go. And do, we didn't want to have to be apples and oranges. So I, I didn't make that trade, but it just felt like that's the move there. If, if it plays out the way that Dane's top 27 does and you know, the, the tight ends are gone and a lot of the corn, not all the corners are gone, but a lot of the corners were gone. And it just, and also knowing this team's penchant for trading back in the second round. And yes, this would be technically a first round, but at 28, you're almost in the second round. It's, it's right in their wheelhouse of, of what they like to do. And it just, the, the history, the, 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 what the picks that go ahead of you. And then that, that carrot dangling out there of Gibbs, it just, it all makes so much sense. Yeah. Um, I, I don't see it. I, I think I, I don't see a way outside of a trade. And I don't know. I just don't know how many people are going to want to come up. You know, we just mm. talked about how 25 and 45 might be the same. That's not necessarily an environment conducive for 35 to want to come up to 28, unless it's, you're talking about quarterbacks. That's what always makes it makes the needle move. And, and so that's Fifth maybe year. what to watch. Um, so, but I, it, it seems I, I love the fit. I think, I think he would be great with any team, uh, that likes to throw it the way the Bengals do. He's got speed. He's got the, he checks the elusive box. He's got great hands. He's, he's willing and pass pro. Um, he'd be a great compliment, um, whether it's Joe Mixon or whoever still here. And I think he's, you know, he's getting the majority of your touches, uh, and, 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 and being pretty explosive with it. I, I think he's he's the scary one to me that you would consider. That said, probably not going to happen. You're probably looking around the fourth round. Dane mentioned that third round. I, I think Roshan Johnson is a great fit for this team. I think he's Samaj P. Ryan. Mm. I think that's who he is. And I think they'd use him like that. I think he's solid in every way. He never, here's what I liked about him he never transferred. Bijan comes in. And he's taking all this dudes. And by all accounts, when you read the beast, there it is. The ultimate coach's favorite, willing to do anything. And when he was, he was the he was in the top 10 of elusive rating. And I, I document the correlation between success in the next level and that elusive rating of PFF every year. Now his, his sample size was limited. He still stole touches from B. John Robinson, a lot of them. Okay. Mm-hmm. He never transferred. He did special teams. He did everything you would want. The ultimate team type guy he's a very solid pass pro he's big enough for the where he fits that Bengals like the big powerful afc north type back but he does make people miss he's got good enough hands it's just the small sample size and maybe he's not as dynamic you know is what has him in the third round i love him for a Bengals fit i think he takes over the p ryan role plus immediately and and that should be exactly the type of thing they'd be looking for i just don't would they pull the trigger at at ninety in the nineties? Like, would they pull the trigger in the third round on him? Will he be there for that? Um, is is kind of a question. Would he would he slide down to them later in the fourth round? I don't know. I think they'd have to probably go for it um, at ninety two to make that happen. And I don't know if they're going to be willing to do that. Yeah, you go back to what Dane said about looking expecting that run to happen in the third round, and that's yeah. not going to happen late in the third round. It's going to be earlier, and he's going to be one of the top ones picked, and it. it it would be a long shot in my mind. You never know, but I mean, it doesn't feel like he would be there at 92. Um, a couple other things that will, will one, I don't know what, you know, minimums and parameters you put in, but if when I looked at elusive, the elusive rating, 
it was it was Bijan and Roshan were one and two. Correct. Those two guys Correct. were one. Those are the top. Their two numbers guys. were strikingly close. Yes. Uh, when you look at not just elusive, but a number of different mm-hmm. uh, you know rates where they were just. A, I mean, I, I just you turn on the Roshan Johnson. I, I'm just impressed when I watch her on the tape. Mm-hmm. Now he again, it's not it's not as impressive or flashy as some of the other guys. But boy, he hits with power. Boy, he runs aggressively. You see some of the shiftiness in there. You see his willingness as a block. Like I just, he had some drops that they accounted for on PFF, but he still seems to have solid enough hands. Where I don't, you know, some of these other guys, you like the lucid, but they they have hands issues. They didn't hardly catch the ball. I mean, you talk about McBride and Bigsby and some of these other guys that are in that middle middle group that it, I just can't see them taking somebody who who has hands issues at this point. Yeah. Like to me that's a that's a mark off off the board almost. Um you got to be able to catch it. You got to be able to make people miss. I think though those are kind of the top 2 when you start talking about traits that they're looking for, which is why and I use that elusive rating as a good way to measure. Mm-hmm. Roshan Johnson, Kendra Miller, uh, Gray, McIntosh, um, and Gibbs. You know, McIntosh, they're talking about moving him to receiver potentially. Scouts have said that. Um, he is really special when you start talking about catching the ball out of the backfield and making moves. Just how much is he, a, would he look like a regular running back or would he be more of an Antonio Gibson type? Uh, mm-hmm. Would he even, would he bring you that kind of dynamic level? I don't know, but I, I do think. He's a name that we both have kind of looked at where late in the draft, and Dane has a sixth on him and had him available in the sixth round um, in his mock that you could see making sense as a, as a late pick, too, to come in and basically battle Chris Evans and see if he could beat beat out Chris Evans. Yeah, and the, the one other thing I was going to say on Roshan is um, it, it's not just the the character and the, the, the coachability of him not leaving when, when Bijan came in. But the, the Bengals really do value those guys that that split carries in college and come in with far less wear and tear. True. He's, he, he had fewer than 100 carries in each of the last three years. So a lot of tread left on those tires. Jay, you've got running back stats. I do. Um, which one do you want to go with? I know I kind of confused you on the one. but Whatever it, one you I, – I, let's, um, let's do last five years. Okay. So – the, we're talking about first round running backs in the last five years, but it's not guys that were drafted in the last five years. It's any, any running back with the first round pedigree. Um, how many have rushed for at least 750 yards while leading their team to the playoffs in the last five years? Well, you know, the 2017 class had, the first rounders, right? You had Fournette, you had McCaffrey, you know, a, a very productive running back class, but they weren't all, you know, the first, a lot of the most productive came out of the later rounds, Camara, Mixon, Dalvin Cook, uh, players of that nature. So you take it. There haven't been as many first round running, you know, Clyde Edwards, Alaire has been a bust of Kansas city, even though they've made the playoffs. He hasn't, I don't think he, he certainly gained seven fifty. Um, I'd have to think of that. I just did a. I just did the graph on that. How? How? What's the? Uh, what's the answer? It's got, can't be, but maybe two or three. So, so interesting. Uh, Ceh, Clyde edwards hilaire is on the list. He had 803 rushing yards in 2020, um, and McCaffrey is not. He's he's the he did not rush for 750. He had a ton of all-purpose yards, but he didn't rush for 750 for the 49ers. Um, 
there's 11 guys have done it. Only two have done it more than once. And that was Ezekiel Elliott. He's done it three times with the Cowboys. And surprisingly, uh, Sony Michelle has done it three times, twice Mm -hmm. with the Patriots and once with the Rams. Interesting. Um, you know, but you watch McCaffrey and, and like when we talk about this and you see the difference McCaffrey made with the Niners. Mm-hmm. Now, the Niners are a very different scheme and what Shanahan does. But, you know, the way he took the Niners to the next level is kind of the way you talk about. It. Well, that's the way a running back can make a difference uh, for you if you have the right one and the right fit, especially when you're throwing the ball out of the backfield. So good, good stuff to keep in mind. Let's shift to receivers, Jay. Uh, I have a story up today on, you know, we've talked a little bit about this, but the the concept of the heir apparent to Tyler Boyd. Okay, let's start here. This draft class is not very good receiver. It's it doesn't have, you know, you're not going to see the early run on. Maybe you will. Maybe maybe the few that there are, people will want to get who they like, but it's it's not very top heavy. There's a lot of blah in the middle um and so it's it's not necessarily a great year but there it's not terrible for the slot the thing is there's a lot of different types there's just a lot of small guys we talked about that with dane tyler boyd is entering the last year of his contract he's going to be 29 in november the Bengals are allergic to third contracts they have shown that they're not just not going to do it no matter how much you are at the core of the mm-hmm. culture. It would make everyone, uh, including myself, very sad to see him go. Selfishly, he's 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 great with us. He's an outstanding, you know, person. Um, and I I've always I've enjoyed every interaction with Tyler Boyd I've pretty much ever had. And the Bengals and this staff love him. There's a reason they kept him around and stuck with him and invested and all that stuff. I would never have a bad word to say about Tyler Boyd. It's just the NFL math catches up to you and Bengals math catches up to you. The Bengals math is known right now. They're just, they're not, especially receiver. And they're already having to pay the other guys going to want to pay that position. They also like to go in a year early when they feel like they have a very important spot. They want to look to fill, have that guy come in, have him develop in the background and then be ready to go the next year and receiver one that takes some time. You're not going to show up. Even T Higgins showed up and he had half a year plus of struggles till he really started to find himself. Like not everybody's Jamar chase. Okay. And you can get instant impact. You can get quick impact, but um, those guys aren't going to be around at 28 Jackson Smith and Jigba ain't falling to you. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so to me, you then end up in this weird middle ground where there's only a few guys I think fit what they're looking for. And, and, the question I have is, how far with this trend of willingness and what college is providing of these smaller players, particularly smaller inside players, are the Bengals willing to go? Are, are they are they willing to do? They've they've loved big body slots, and maybe that's just who Tyler Boyd and Muhammad Sanu were, and they ran they were good, and they ran with it. But I just feel like with Burrow and the way he plays, they they've he, they've liked these big body slots and dig out the safety one play, mm-hmm. and then you know make a contested catch the next tough catch the ball. And there's just not a lot of those here, Mm-mm. and and I wonder are they going to be willing to go small. Well, 
I, I don't know. I, I talked about it on an earlier pod about how much fun that would be to get a small guy that you could not just put in the slot, but kind of be a gadget guy to move all over the place. And then when we were doing that, that map, that mock, it's like, when do you take one of these guys? It, it almost, I almost didn't take one at all. I almost didn't take a receiver at all in this draft. Mm-hmm. I don't know what would be more likely for them to go through the entire draft without a running back or go through the entire draft without a wide receiver. I think um, receiver would be more likely for them yeah. to pass on just because they could come back next year and go in at yes. it again, or who wouldn't want to play slot for Joe Burrow, right? You're yeah. free agent. You talk about prove it tight end. You could have a prove it slot receiver too, or you could re-sign Boyd at a, at a, at a number that, that makes sense for everybody. Sorry to interrupt you. A one year. Yeah. Get it, bring it back on a one year deal or, mm-hmm. and then the other thing too is, you know, nobody's saying Trent Irwin is the, the long-term answer to replace Tyler Boyd, but he was really good last year. And mm-hmm. a lot of people talk about, you know, that when Boyd went out, what a difference that made in the AFC championship game. I mean, how much of that was the drop off in the slot versus just Burrow not having any time because the Chris Jones and the defense was just wrecking that game. And that was, I mean, we saw Irwin do some great things. The one thing that that cropped into my mind, and I don't is is it crazy? Because you you talked about McIntosh convert him to wide receiver. Hmm. Is the idea of converting Chris Evans to a receiver crazy? I mean, that's the whole reason they drafted him. They love his route running. They loved his hands. He didn't even really run the ball much in college. And what you were talking about, guys that like to bounce it too much and not hit the hole, and he kind of falls into that. He's not great in pass pro. I mean, do do you say let's let's take a shot and see if you, if you draft a running back or two, and you've got all of a sudden you're a little more flush in that position group? Do you do you work him in in, in the offseason and in, in camp and see what he can do in that regard? I don't think that's the answer. I mean, mm. maybe, maybe that maybe you consider that because that's the only way he can stick on your roster if you filled up in running back and you're not. I, I don't, you know, maybe I, I don't know that he's got the route running of to play slot enough. And Trenton Irwin, you know, was fine. He was good, like, but I don't know if people realize most of his snaps last year actually didn't come in the mm. slot. He spent yeah. a lot of time filling in the outside Jamar. What, for Jamar. Um, and if T was banged for, you know, they, they, he had some, the new England game, uh, he fills in for Boyd. He has a couple touchdowns, almost had three in the first half, like notable, but he, he actually, when you go back and look, he, he a lot of his time was spent <coughs> on, on the outside. I, I just, to go into some names, um, you know, that I think are real, that are interesting for them because look, I, there's not a first rounder that's going to line up for them. I, I, would be stunned if they used a second round pick on a guy like Josh Downs again, another one of the small guys, five nine, one seventy one. I would be stunned to see them go there. You know, the big ripple effect that would be the stunner would be them taking one of the few big outside receivers mm-hmm. and and leave some shrapnel across T. Higgins. You know, I mean, we always talk about who's going to be affected by the draft most. Whose locker are we standing at on Monday? Well, T. Higgins wouldn't be there, first of all, but <laughs> you know we'd be talking about him if they pulled that play. Um, that said, I don't see that happening. You know, Cedric Tillman from Tennessee, mm-hmm. likable. Like, there's a lot of good things to like about him. He plays has some Higgins to his game um, a little bit, but you know that would be surprising to me. I, I, I a guy like Jaden Reed from Michigan State, 
um, who's a little on the smaller side. You know, you're talking 5'11", 187, but close enough. Really nice punt, re- like returnability for you. Um, can he's he's he can he has a he has a lot some separation to his game. I see him as your starting slot in 2024 if you draft him right now. Um, I, I I like that I like that as a fit. I've liked that as a fit from the beginning. Um, you know, I had a tweet about this. I retweeted uh somebody did all the analytics look on Xavier Hut Xavier Hutchinson from Ohio from Iowa State, um, who is like a Tyler Boyd coming out replica. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Almost every single individual stat, whether it be size, average depth of target, production, everything about him was like just like Tyler Boyd. Now. He kind of plays a little bit more like an outside receiver and did more of his work on the outside at Iowa State. But I think there's a projection to him inside. I think PFF had him for 24% slot snaps. Super productive at Iowa State, like leading receiver three straight years, all this stuff. Contested catch guy. And he's he's a big slot, 6'2-203. He would be a middle round guy that would make some sense where you're just getting somebody who looks just like Tyler Boyd has a similar profile who could maybe come in and do that. Um, so there's a few of those. Tank Dell's the interesting one to me. Like Nathaniel <laughs> the littlest Dell, of the little. <laughs> he's the littlest of the little, but he's the most intriguing to me, man. Like, dude gets insane separation. He he is he gets open in the red zone. I'm getting I want to like call Baby Hawk every time I watch him play because the you know the way that Nathaniel Dell can get away and and move. I think Darren Simmons probably fainted watching him return punts. <laughs> Darren Simmons always jokes about, I need a fear of God guy back there. Put a fear of God into the other team. This is a fear of God returner in, in, in Tank Dell. He's just, he's 165 pounds. He's, he's tiny, but by God, he is just an animal out there. And as a route runner and as a returner and all those other things. Different staff, but same front office. Is there, is there, there's still the effects of of the John Ross little little receiver yeah. off injured. I mean, is that is that fear still there? Got to be. You wonder about that. And um, the one guy that if he wasn't there, Dane had him going early in the third. And if he had been there, my draft might have gone in a different way. But. Jonathan Mingo from Miss Ole Miss. Um, mm-hmm. I, I thought he was an option in the third round, but he he had him going earlier in the third. And I was like, they're not going to take him in the second. And but that that was another name, and that name cropped up quite a bit on the uh, on the reader uh, mock draft mailbag as well. Um, but it, I just, I don't know. I, I I wonder what what the the urgency will be. They the history is there to kind of replace the need before you have to, but. It, it just the way that this this draft sets up. Uh, it, I'm I'm really interested. I, I think you're right. Running back is maybe the most interesting position, but wide receiver is right there with it because I I, I think you I could, I think you could see them go seven picks without one. You know, receiver for me though, it went unaddressed. The depth, the need for depth there, has been sitting there, and it just it feels like something. It's just not. They haven't, you know, didn't draft anybody last year. They were looking. Mm. They liked guys. It did the the board didn't fall to them. It didn't draft anybody to add to the depth in that room, you know. 
And and here it is again this year. The last time they went back to back drafts without selecting a receiver goes all the way back to 1996-97. Um, it's just and when you have what's happening in the, in the front of the room with needing to pay everybody and Boyd's getting older, I I it just to me it's just sitting there like a hole. And that's no disrespect to Trenton Irwin or Stanley Morgan or Trent Taylor or whatever. It just it needs it needs to get younger. It needs a developmental prospect with some juice. And I I don't feel like we talk about that enough because we spend a lot of time talking about obviously other bigger positions, trenches and things like that. But I you know, I I I look at it and 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 feel like it needs it needs somebody um, in, in this draft and those middle rounds certainly speak to that. And it's, it's interesting because it was it's not a great draft class for receivers, and it wasn't a great free agent class for receiver either. I mean, it was Alan Lazard and Jacoby Myers were the top two guys. Mm-hmm. It's just there's I, I, there are still a few out there that could be in that Irv Smith role where they could be very very cheap one year fits that you, you pluck. Um, kind of in the Eli Apple mold a couple of years ago where you get through the draft, maybe you don't take one and you take a flyer on one of those, a guy with a little bit of experience, maybe in the mid twenties who, who will, like you said, would love to come play for Joe Burrow and, and have something to prove and, and see if he could uh, convert that one year deal into something bigger. But it, it's, it, it, it's, it just doesn't feel like the, even as big as the hole is that the, the, the class doesn't fit them the right way. And they're, they're not, a, they're not a team that is going to reach. No. And they've got a lot of other things they're trying to accomplish too. Yes. So, um, we'll, you know, we'll see. I mean, you mentioned the free agent, the, th- the problem with it, it's not a prove it this year. Yeah. I mean, you ain't getting on the field unless yeah, somebody right. gets hurt. Yeah, not even right. a little, there's no competition you can win. There's no impression you can make. It won't matter unless someone gets hurt. So unless somebody gets hurt in camp and there's still an available player who can then come in and we'd love to sign then, you know, it ain't happening. And, you know, that's the other thing. I mean, you just, I, I just, I just feel like it should be a higher priority and maybe it is behind closed doors. Um, and their, their mom on it and, and, and have whatever, but I, I, it, to me, it, it speaks that it needs, it needs something right now, um, in the draft. Okay. Uh, Jay, you got stats. Yeah, I do. I, I mean, that is a, a really good point too. what you're talking about where there's no opportunity because if they get through the draft and, and don't take a receiver, uh, they're going to have a hard time convincing undrafted free agents. Yeah, they'd like to come play with Joe Burrow, but they also want to go somewhere they're going to have a chance to get on the field, and that that may not be the case. Um, talking about getting a receiver you know, after the third round, and what are the chances there that that, that develops into to something productive? And the the poster child for the Bengals is, is TJ Hushmanzada, seventh-round pick back in 2001, um, 507 catches, 5,700 yards, 37 touchdowns. Since the Bengals took TJ in the seventh round in 2001, they've drafted 20 wide receivers in the later than the third round. And those 20 wide receivers combined barely get over halfway of TJ's production. Talking about 20 receivers combined for 306 catches compared to TJ's 507. 3,600 yards compared to TJ's 5,700 
and 21 touchdowns compared to TJ's 37. And that's with Marvin Jones at the top of that list with 134 <laughs> for 17, 29, and 15 touchdowns. Yeah, Only I was going to say, how touchdowns. much of that is Marvin Jones? I, I mean, if you have Marvin Jones production after the third round, those the rest of those guys has got to be just an absolute graveyard. I, I mean, Auden Tate, second, second most productive wow. on the list. And yeah, that's it has not that that has not been their honey hole by any means is, is finding those late round receivers. No. Uh, yeah. Fascinating look there. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see uh, where, where all of that lands. Um, you know, it's, it's another two very fascinating positions here mm-hmm. for, for this draft um, that could have any number of outcomes, including some, if you get your Mingo guy, there's another, there's another T Higgins shrapnel pick. Yeah. If you get Mingo who could, uh, who could shake the Higgins tree uh, a, a little bit. That would be something else. All right, Jay, uh, good stuff. We've got all those in the book, tight ends and corners still on deck. We'll get to those later this week. And then next week, um, we will be very excited to bring in our mega mock draft next week as we go all in to get into the universe of players. Again, we did that last year. Looking forward to doing that again. Um, Arby's time. Jay, what do you what do you got? Maybe I mean we talked about the surprise of seeing Joe Mixon. Maybe the bigger surprise was seeing Jackson Carmen. Not that he was there, but what he looked like. I mean, he looked like he'd lost at least twenty pounds. His shirt was literally hanging off of him. He 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 has lost a lot of weight, and I wanted to ask him about it. I wanted to ask him about the hell that is Fairfield Taxes because he still lives up here. But <laughs> as soon as he came in the locker room, he grabbed a ping pong paddle and started playing ping pong. And again, I'm not going to interview a guy when he's playing ping pong. And then the, the period ended, but it was notable to me. It, it was something that that really sometimes guys come back those those second year guys come back and they go the other way. They look so much bigger, like they've just worked out so much in the off season. They're jacked, and I, and he. Uh, clearly has changed his diet and his workout, and he looks much more athletic than than the Jackson Carmen we're used to seeing. Well, you know, you're talking – it starts to get real now, okay? You've had two yeah. years of blah. You get a little bit of hope. Look, your your contract is getting closer. You're talking about you got two years to prove yourself and either crap out of this league um, or be a guy and potentially make the millions of dollars that you wanted to make when you got into this business. And it's put up or shut up time for him. And so I, I, I think that's a good sign. Um, but I think we've heard a lot of good things and seen good signs this time last mm-hmm. year too, and it ended up going the opposite direction. So that's better than the opposite. I will yeah. say that much, but I don't, I don't know – I don't know. It's a hard one. I have a hard time with the Carmen situation because you're right. You saw somebody who maybe started to turn the light on a little bit last year. Zach Taylor said he was really impressed with the way that he matured in the background um, mm. when he wasn't playing last year, and that showed a little bit. And maybe maybe there is, you know, it just takes guys sometimes to grow up a little bit more and and to understand what the league is, and and maybe he's better fit on the outside. And and we can go through all of these excuses. I just. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I, can't, I have a hard time buying in on that. It's a definitely a believe it when I see it type thing there. Um, I have a I have a bunch of different ones to choose from here. Um, More Arby's the better. Yeah. I, so I don't really know which direction to go. Uh, 
I'll start here. I want to just say this. Um, I was so sad to hear about Chris Smith today. Yeah. Um, Chris Smith played for the Bengals for a year in 2017. He was around, came from Jacksonville, um, played eight years in the league with the Browns, too. He, I got to tell you, he stands out to me above almost all as one of the nicest guys I have mm-hmm. ever come across on this team in, in, a decade plus, 13 years on this beat, he ranks amongst the nicest people. I will never forget that smile. He had this big smile and he was always happy and telling jokes and such a like genuinely nice person. I remember how happy he was. He just wanted to make the team and have a chance. He ended up playing well in his role yeah. in Cincinnati and got himself paid a little bit. And I just will never forget. I remember seeing him when he came back for another team and saying hi. And he was, you know, he remembered and was so happy to, you know, it was just, I just always think of him then. I saw that and I was just 31 years old. Ah, I just heartbroken by that. One of the nicest guys I've ever come across, Chris Smith, rest in peace, man, because what a super nice guy he was. I'll never forget that smile. Yeah, and low key, one of the better trades in recent history. I mean, yeah. they they got him for a draft pick, and he came in that he he was a rotational defensive end, but he had three sacks that year, and he played really well. And he lost his wife in the car accident a couple years ago, and now now he's gone. It is it's just it's incredibly incredibly sad. And he was a guy that you know when you, you didn't necessarily need anything from him, he was just fun to talk to because he was so engaging and so nice, and you just go up and and kind of shoot the shit with them. And it is I'm very, very sad to, to hear that. And it, it was interesting because um, it was across the board. He played for the Raiders. He played for the Browns and, and people that covered those teams as well, all had the same things to say about. Yeah. Um, so on a lighter note, um, I had noticed over the course of uh, the last few months to see BJ Hill always was like showing off these, uh, cabins and like, and it looked like it was some talking about Airbnbs. And I was like, "Do you have an? Do you?" He like he's in getting into the Airbnb business in Asheville with him. I think he said his wife too. And he immediately just starts selling me on Airbnbs. Like he's like, "All right, let's talk about it. what do you want? Like you like?" Because I was like, "I love Asheville." And Asheville, he's like, "Oh yeah, come on down. They're up here. Is where it is. What we got? It's beautiful." And then Jermaine Pratt comes. He's like, "You need to buy some of those Airbnbs. You need to get into that Airbnb business." I'm like, "What is going on? Do you, have you guys gotten together and talked about how you need to try to sell the reporters on some Asheville Airbnbs? Is that what this is about?" But I mean, it's a pretty good sell job. These places look incredible uh, up in the up in the hills outside. Asheville, which is a beautiful place to go. So I may have to take BJ Hill up on this. I may have to take him up on it. If you get a chance, check out uh if you look, I think he's got stuff posted. If you go look, you can follow some links and go see. He's got he said he's got three. He's got I think he said he has three uh cabins and Airbnbs that they bought. Or they're about to buy a third one um in that area that they're just just making coin off of at this point. Must be any nice. any of them walking distance to Sierra Nevada brewery? Uh no, but well, I'm per- if they're in the hills, probably. The not. problem is the hills. You can't get an, you can't get an Uber to come up those hills now. No. You gotta you gotta like you, you gotta go up some scary stuff there, or somewhere you can't even park where you're where the entrance is. You know, you gotta like walk up a hill because you can't get your car up. But I've done that before. Um, but yeah, so maybe I'll take BJ Hill 
uh, up on that. I, I kind of wanted, I, I want to give more time. I'm not going to go into this today. I do, I want to talk about the stadium situation that is out there. Like uh, you've got the, you know, the county, the, and the Bengals and everybody involved in these are, are talking through this now, uh, trying to figure out what's going to happen next. You've got the Browns are like going to be, have to be in Columbus for games and, and you've got what's happened with Tennessee and Buffalo. And you heard Katie Blackburn address that a few weeks ago. Um, they like the Baltimore model of the renovation and everything else. And now we got talks of trying to put a dome over the stadium again. Like you, you are, you do not, that is not designed for a dome. No, you do not want to pay $2 billion to put a dome on this thing. And you want to build a new stadium. Now we're talking about a new stadium again. Guess where that thing ain't going to be downtown. Probably <laughs> like you got it. There's just a lot, there's a lot of weird conversations happening around the stadium where it has felt like like a multi-phased renovation that is within a normal budget is what needs to be happening. And I feel like the conversation's going off in lots of weird ways. Everybody's getting sidetracked away from that. Um, and then you got people like, oh, we got to make sure we're – people going after uh, Jason Williams. He's writing about, oh, make sure they get it right this time. Here's the thing. Now, Jason has some opinions that are polarizing. That's what a columnist should have. I don't agree with everything he writes, nor would I expect him to agree with anything I would write if I was in that position. And he had some very good points, and I think it's important one for people to remember, in that don't let this be like last time. Yeah. Like – don't get excited because the Bengals are good and let this be like last time. Okay. When they pay the, you know, the County has been paying for this forever. It's gone down as this awful deal. Don't, don't let that shade the view of what this should be. Okay. And end up with the taxpayers on the hook for this thing. And I would say the same thing from a Bengals perspective, the Bengals don't want this to turn into the, the awfulness of what the reaction was for the, the bad PR, bad PR that lasting that followed them that they were caked in for decades, that it took Joe Burrow to wash off of them. They don't want that either. Okay. Now, I don't know what the middle ground is. I'm sure there will be many contentious moments along the lines of this negotiation, but both sides want, should want something different. And that involves the Bengals give, you know, being. Paying for more. The NFL, the Bengals, whoever, paying more. Uh, a higher percentage. But finding a way that this isn't bad for everyone, which is kind of what it felt like last time kind of was at times. And I think that's an important thing to remember. Look, people, we're, we're here because they need to, you know, the team that needs to be held accountable. The taxpayers need to have a voice. So when Jason writes those columns, you may not agree with everything he's writing, but going after him for that is insane. For for reminding of the need for accountability and what that needs to look like to avoid it being last time. And that was means avoiding it going the way it went for both sides last time. Okay? And so it's important to keep perspective and not let the Bengals being very, very good on the field block the fact that there's a certain 
issue that needs to be taken care of, and that's how much the taxpayers should be on the hook for, and it not being a repeat uh, of the '90s situation. And, and the fact that people are going after Jason just proves the point of why he made it, because they are they're thinking with their hearts instead of their heads. And if it, 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 if you think back when the, they were negotiating for the the new stadium in the '90s, they were as bad as they've ever been. It wasn't like this. It wasn't where they were winning Jeff and everybody's all giddy. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, there was a little bit of excitement there toward the end, but it was still, it was, it was more just, yeah, they're not great, but we can't let them leave. And now you just don't want people to, like I said, be thinking with their heart and get, get too wrapped up in the success of the team. Um, it, it's got to be equitable for both sides. And it, they, the, the, the taxpayers cannot take a bath again on, on whatever direction they decide to go. No, much more on this as we go forward, obviously, yeah. and, and we'll be keeping the tabs on 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 all of it as it goes forward. But wanted to just kind of touch on that real quick before we uh, wrap it all up here today. Um, all right, thanks to everybody for listening. Again, we'll be back Thursday, uh, and we will be talking a little bit about tight ends, cornerbacks, two very important positions again in this draft, and then next week we'll be diving in the full mock draft, bringing in all the all your old friends. Some cross-promotional stuff. Excited about all that. Got some other stuff to, to tell you about that's coming up in the near future, too. Uh, so lots of good things happening. Almost there, Jay. We're, we're so close. Yep. I'm kind of burning out a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Nine days. On the draft. Yeah. I'm ready. I'm ready to be. Ready. I'm ready for it to be here. We cannot get here fast enough. So, All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Have a good one, everybody.